All right, what is up, guys? We are back. That is right, with another week of Esther. We are in the uh, quarantine corona edition, but I am with my friend <laughs> J.D. Rogers. What's up, everyone? part of leadership here, and we're going to dive back into Esther chapter 5 and 6. So but, excited. Uh, how we doing, man? Pretty good. This is the first time I've been in the proximity of another human in quite a while. It's been nice. I've hey. been making dance videos at home alone. <laughs> hey, we are, yeah, yes, he has. We got to give him more to do. We are six feet apart. Don't worry. We got the hand sanitizer mm-hmm. ready. We're going to open the scripture, but hey, let me start by uh, uh, this. This will be a question for you. What is your favorite Disney movie ever? You at mm. home, you can comment below if you're on YouTube live or if you're listening wherever you are, you can comment there. What's the greatest Disney movie of all time? Disney or Pixar? You know, David, I'd have to say for me, Emperor's New Groove. Ah, it's my favorite. Emperor's New Groove is actually a really strong movie. It's so movie. good. Kronk. Like, Yzma is the most underrated villain in the game. <laughs> Yzma. Yzma, oh she's hilarious. The, uh, the scene with the angel and the devil on the yeah, shoulders yeah, he, things. And he's like, no, he's actually got a good point. He's like, no, 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 look what I can do. And he does like the handstand. Yes. Um, <laughs> hey, we have been watching all kinds. Of, this is going somewhere, by the way. Uh, yeah. In my house with little kids, Disney Plus is like your saving grace. And so our kids uh, have gotten reacquainted, not just with like the recent movies, like Toy Story 4 or the one through four, but in um, Cars and Frozen and all that stuff. But it's like, I'm taking them down memory lane because we're going through Aladdin, mm. Mulan. Oh, uh, that's, see, that's my time. Oh, dude, it's so the time. Pocahontas. Were you, were you like 25? Oh Aladdin? my gosh, wow, <laughs> wow. I actually don't really know. But I do know that I think the greatest Disney movie of all time, I'm going on record, you say it right here, Lion King. The original- uh. Lion King. Circle of That's so strong. So anyways, that is like our jam right now. We're watching that all the time. And, uh, you know, it's funny when you watch them as an adult, you see all the underlying messages that mm-hmm. are being woven into the storyline that your You're kids like, yeah, are being fed, which is like, you know, one, a kind of uh, perspective on the world that you wish was true. You wish there was a magic carpet that you could take and show you the world, mm-hmm. but it's not really the case. And nice. also that you know, lions or even the animal kingdom in Lion King, that, that's not really reality that, uh, you know, all the lions get along with a baboon and kind of yeah. they're all friends together. There's some clearly, hey, this is not, there's a lot of myth mm-hmm. and fairy tale that is woven in there. Yeah. And uh, as a dad, you're like, hey, this is great. And you want to spark creativity and imagination. But at some point, they're going to grow up and hopefully realize that life doesn't always work where there's, you know, a whatever the Matata. There's not always, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. Prince Charming doesn't always show up and give you a kiss that awakes Sleeping Beauty from death. Or if there's you not, try to fly off a cliff with a magic carpet. It's not going to happen. Not going to go mm-hmm. well for you. And, uh, and how crazy it would be, as simple as that is, for an adult or for a child to grow up and never actually learn that those things are fairy tales, that they're myths. Mm-hmm. What does that have to do with Esther chapter 5 and 6 where we're looking tonight? I think there's a lot of people who grow their entire life And from some point early on or at some point in their life journey, they embrace what I would say is a fairy tale faith or these myths about faith and what Mm. true faith actually looks like. And they never grow out of it. Things that um, just like as silly as it would be to believe, you know, happily ever after or the circle of life always ends up with animals all being best friends. There's also these different myths about your faith that if you and I are not careful, and candidly, I think a lot of people listening, a lot of the people that we minister to thousands of young adults every single week. As I get to know and just hear conversations and I'm talking with them, at some point I'll realize, oh, you have a version of faith that is not true faith. Mm. It's a fairy tale version. And so tonight, I just want to pull out three examples of fairy tale faith that are really common among young adults. They're right in the story. And so we're going to dive into Esther chapter five and look at those three. So tonight, if you take notes, first week one, let me just set up where we've been because you may not have joined us for Esther. Esther is a book in the Old Testament. Yeah. It's uh, Old Testament is the basically storyline of the people of God, the nation of Israel. That's what the Old Testament is primarily about. And God's kind of inner relationship with those people mm-hmm. inside of that book or inside of the Old Testament. There's a book called Esther. Esther was the queen of all of the Persian kingdom. How did that happen? Basically crazy story. You can go back and listen on porch app or the podcast to hear uh, the messages of Esther week one and two. Basically she was a peasant girl. It's the ultimate like Disney yeah. should make a movie about it. It's, a, it's like a very slept on book in the oh, Bible. Dude, like, totally. People need to, if you haven't like read Esther, it's, it's now's the time. Amazing. 
So girl goes rags to riches. She's a peasant girl. Mm -hmm. The king gets rid of his wife and is like, I want a new wife, a beauty competition. They have the Bachelor Persia edition. She wins the Bachelor Persia. She goes from peasant to the palace. All of a sudden, she's at the right hand of the king. Yeah, that just came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that that was week one. We looked at kind of like all the ways of God, despite really her uh, not perfect behavior or the ways that, that she and the other characters in the story weren't always living out the way that God was still at work. And then last week, we were introduced to the villain in two the story. We- two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah, listening. And we were introduced to, to the villain in the story. So let me go through the four main characters in case you're still not following me. There's really four main characters in the book. There's King Xerxes. He's king over the whole Persian empire. Okay. He's not a believer in God. I said Jake Gyllenhaal when I think of him. There he is. You can see him. Ooh. There's King Xerxes. He is the guy who says, I want a beauty competition to marry uh, my new wife. And he finds Esther who becomes the queen. And when I think of Esther, here's what I think of. I think of Wonder Woman. She's kind of the Wonder Woman of the show. Gal Gadot. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. <laughs> She's actually Israeli gal. I think her name's Gal. And uh, so that's, that's Esther. So we got King Xerxes, got Jake. Then you got Queen Esther, that's Gal. Then you got Uncle Mordecai. Uncle Mordecai is the guy who raises Esther. When I think of Uncle Mordecai, I think of the most iconic uncle of all time, in my opinion. And who would that be? Jesse from Full House. There's uh, Uncle Jesse. Gotta everyone love. loves Jesse. Dude, look at the hair on that guy, man. Taking me How back to my, not? my childhood. How could you not love that guy? For real. Okay, so there's our three main kind of good characters, or at least, you know, the, the latter two. And then we have our villain of the story. And when I think of this villain, it, it really, for me, there's no question, it is Jafar. Jafar. There he is. <laughs> Partly because the villain whose name is Haman in his story is the prime minister of all the land. And he kind of has like the king underneath his thumb. So week one, we talked about God being at work and we called it the Bachelor of Persia and her being placed from peasant to the palace. Mm-hmm. Week two, we're introduced to Jafar or Haman who comes up with this plan to kill all of the Jewish people in the whole empire. Millions and millions of people. Um, and you can go back and kind of listen to why he wanted to do that. Clearly, uh, that was an evil thing that he was a part of, but he gets this plan. He's the prime minister, goes to the king, says, I think we should wipe out all of the Jewish people. And, uh, and the king's like, oh, okay. And in exchange for that, I'll give you lots of money. And the king's like, for sure, then we're gonna do that. And so really we hit pause in the midst of that. And we were introduced that Esther was told by her uncle, hey, they're gonna kill all of us, all the Jewish people, 15 million people, every man, woman, and child on a fixed day in the future you need to go into your husband, the king, and you need to say, don't kill my people. And she responds with like, hey, you know that I could potentially die yeah. if I go in front of the king. And that's weird to us because you're like your husband and wife, talk about marital problems. But in that context, if you went before the king without being invited, yeah. you would have your head chopped off or you could unless he extended the scepter. And Mordecai responds with the most famous line in Esther, hey, um, Maybe you've been put in the palace for such a time as this. Mm. God has woven all of the story together. He's going to save his people. Could it be that he's going to do it through you? And so today we're going to pick up where Esther, after three days of fasting, says, I'm going before the king. So we're in Esther chapter five. If you have your Bible, you can flip open to Esther chapter five. Anything that I missed or anything that would be unclear and all that? It's about 500 years before Jesus was alive. No, I I, I do think this is a very relevant story for kind of what's going on in each of our lives right now. It's like, hey, I think it could be really easy to be passive in this season. Yep. And I think maybe, I hope tonight, like we hear what was the call of Esther in this moment yep. of difficulty, of pushback and, and respond faithfully with the bravery that she did. And I love that you just said that, I, I forgot that even she fasted three days yep. before this, that she was committed to seeking um, praying and fasting would the be the Lord, invitation, yeah. As she, before she goes and does this. It wasn't on her own strength. It wasn't about her. It was about uh, what she was called to do for such a time as this. And I think there's a call in our life for such a time as this. So that's right. excited to see what you teach. All right, here we go. Esther chapter five, verse one, three days into the fast, it says this. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes. She entered in the court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther, here's the moment of truth, standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her. And he held out the gold scepter to her, which means, hey, you can come forward. So Esther approached and she touched the end of the scepter. She did it on the third day 
She put her life out there. She was willing to risk her life to go before the king in order to say, man, hey, spare my people. So he goes before the king and she is given permission. And the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is up to half of my kingdom. That's a good day right now or right then. When the king says, hey, whatever you want, you can have up to half of the kingdom. Here's how she responds. Esther replied, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I've prepared for the king. So she says to Jake Gyllenhaal, hey, king, will you and Jafar or Haman come to this banquet that I put together? That's all that I want. I want to you know, have a dinner and have a banquet together. I, in my opinion, if I'm the king, I'm going, hey, you just risked your life. I'm pretty sure you didn't just want to invite me to dinner, mm-hmm. but maybe I'll find out at the dinner what you really want. <laughs> Verse five, the king turned to his attendants and said, tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. So they go to this dinner. While they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. What is your request? And I will give it to you, even if it is up to half of my kingdom. I, I love this dude, man. He's just quick to go, you know, he's pressing that half the kingdom thing. Yeah, really. Esther said, this is my request and deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request and to do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet that I will prepare for you. Then, I'll, then I will explain what all of this is about. So she again says, hey, you know what I really want? I want you to come to another banquet. And the mm-hmm. king's going, I'm pretty sure that's not all that you want, but let's do it. I'm intrigued. I'm interested. So she goes and basically makes a request. Both you guys come back. Haman leaves a happy man as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai, who was sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. Remember, Haman was like the most powerful dude. He wants everybody everywhere to know, hey, when I'm in the room, I'm a big deal. You should be bowing to me. And Mordecai, because he was Jewish, was like, I'm not bowing in worship to any human person. And that infuriated Haman. It's why he wanted to kill all of the Jewish people Hmm. because he knew that, hey, they're not gonna bow down to me. So he goes by, sees Mordecai not bowing. He's really angry. Okay. However, he restrained himself and he went home. Then Haman gathered together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, and he boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. And he bragged about the honors the king had given him, how he'd been promoted above all the other nobles and officials. Then Haman added, and that's not all, Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to a banquet she prepared for us. And she's invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. So he goes home. He's like, yeah, I'm really upset. In my mind, this is how like I see this probably just because I'm watching so much Disney. You know that scene in Beauty and the Beast when Gaston is like uh, a little down on himself and he begins to talk with that guy and he basically goes into no one's quick like Gaston. No one's wit like, you know, uh, yeah, that yeah, whole yeah. thing where he's like over Good the top, um, 10,000, whatever he talks about, like Gaston. This is that moment with Haman where he's going, look at how many kids I have. Look how much wealth I have. Look at all the great things. I'm the most powerful person next to the king. Not only that, I've been invited to the White House for a dinner with the president and the first lady or the king and the queen, just the two of them. How special and amazing am I? Mm -hmm. But verse 13. He's feeling himself. He's feeling himself. (laughs) Uh, Verse 13. But this is all worth nothing. As long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. Hmm. In other words, like if only... All of this doesn't mean anything because that guy won't bow to me. If only he bowed to me, that would be really what I want. So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all of his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. And in the morning, ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. Oh my gosh. It feels aggressive. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. And this pleased Haman and he ordered the pole set up. Okay, so really interesting. Uh, His wife, he's like, you know, how great I am. And yet I'm so upset. I'm none of, it doesn't mean anything because this guy won't bow. And his wife is like, you know, let me console you. How about a little murder? I think mm-hmm. that'll make you feel better. And so why don't you set up a 75 foot pole and have Mordecai impaled on it? I mean, you're the number, you're prime minister of the land. You could have that happen. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'll do. Now idea. I feel better. Yeah. That night, that night, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. So at this time, anytime the king did anything, 
Uh, it's a little bit like this. You know, anytime, um, kind of before Corona, Trump would do anything, it was like news. Like, hey, Trump would travel someplace and it becomes news because if you're the most powerful person, yeah. whatever you say, whatever you do becomes news immediately. In that context, whatever the king did would be recorded because it's making history. The king of the land. So the king, you know, goes to a different state. It's written in a history book. Everything that he did was written in history book. Hmm. He has a time where he can't sleep at night and he's like struggling. He's laying there in bed. And so he asks his attendants to come and read from the books of the account of his life, which I'm guessing, I don't know if he was like, man, that's one of the more boring things you could read from. Hopefully that'll put me to sleep or what exactly he's thinking. But he asks them to come read from the account of his life and they take that book and here's what happens. Here's what they read. In the records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai, who worked at the king's gate, that's Uncle Jesse, remember the guy that Haman wants to kill, how Mordecai, had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two eunuchs who guarded the door door to the king's private quarters and had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. So he basically realizes that something we didn't dive deep in in chapter two was a moment where these two eunuchs, the king's eunuchs, wanted to kill the king. Yep. Uh, I think it makes sense why they'd want to kill the king. He made them eunuchs. You know what a eunuch is? And uh, and Mordecai heard about it and he went and exposed it and he said, these guys are going to kill you. And the king never heard about it. So he says in verse three, hey, what recognition or reward did we ever give Mordecai for saving the king? And his attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Then the king heard, or in verse four, who's in that outer court, the king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale or kill Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So the attendants replied, it's Haman, he's out there. And so the king said, bring him in here. And he asks Haman, what do I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? I wish we had more time to just like go so deep because there's so much irony and just, it's an amazing story. Hey, what do I do? So you, get, you fall in the story? Basically yeah, the so king, can I, recap. Yeah, so he's, Haman wants to kill Mordecai because yep. he won't bow to him. And so he's getting all that plan ready to go kill him. And meanwhile, over here, for whatever reason, King Xerxes yep. cannot sleep. Read to me the story in which is chapter two. Mm-hmm. And that story tells him Mordecai saved your life. Yep. And so he's like, you know what? Maybe that'll help me fall asleep. I'll, I'll give back to Mordecai for saving my life. Yep. And now we're seeing, he's looking around like, hey, who can help me give back to Mordecai? And ironically at that time, walking up to kill Mordecai is Haman. Yep. And now... That's, okay. so that's exactly right. it. Yeah, so, right. okay. so he's going, Haman, hey, what should I do? Uh, verse seven. It's like a movie. <laughs> oh, totally. Um, Haman, I'm sorry, verse six, thought to himself, whom would the king be wanting to honor more than me? So he thinks the king is kind of like in a roundabout way saying, hey, you know, if I was going to get somebody <laughs> for their birthday, you know, something, what do you think is a good idea? And you're like, oh, I know exactly what you're going to get. Or I remember playing this game when I was getting engaged to my wife and you're trying to figure out like what type of ring that they want. And you're like, mm-hmm. what do you think like is the best types of diamonds out there? And you're just trying to like dance around it. That's what Haman thinks is going on. He doesn't realize he really wants to honor somebody else. <laughs> so Haman responds like, well, this is what I would want. Yep. So here's what he says. Hey, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes. It's kind of weird to us that yep. hey, something the king has worn before, but it declared like a, a special privilege, mm-hmm. as well as a horse the king has ridden on, one with the royal emblem on his head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let him see that that man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes. He's led through the city square on the king's horse and have that person shout as they lead the person that the king wants to honor around the city. This is what the king does for someone that they wish to honor. Verse 10, excellent, said the king to Haman. Quick, take the robes of my horse and do everything you've said for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the gate <laughs> of the palace. Leave out nothing you've suggested, like the irony. I just pictured, that's like the, he's like puffed up and then the king says that and it's like that jaw, you know, like, Dong. Yes. Like, he's like, what? Totally. The like, king's I like, Chop, chop, and he leaves. Make and, it happen. And think people start moving. And That's a great idea. That's exactly <laughs> what we should do. And he's there to ask about killing Mordecai. And now the king is going, no, I want you to honor and celebrate him and lead yeah. him around and say to the whole city, this is what you can expect if you really are someone the king delights in. Did Haman have to shout? Yeah, he had to go around oh. and shout. The guy that he wanted to bow to him, he now has to go around town wow. and say, hey, this is... 
the guy that everybody should be focused on. This is a guy that the king wants to honor. Everybody should bow down. This is, this is the, uh, it's basically, again, Disney movies, man. You know that scene in uh, Aladdin where Aladdin comes and the genie's with him and he's like, his first wish is he wants to be a prince mm-hmm. and the genie just basically shows up. It's like one of the best parts of the movie yeah. where it's like, Prince Ali, fabulous, Ali, That's essentially what, thank you for that, what Haman has to do with Mordecai. is taking him around going, hey, everybody look at this guy. Everyone look at this man. And you know, he's got to be infuriated on the inside. But inside of this story, there's three things that I really want to pull out because we see uh, connections to what I would call his fairy tale faith here. So we're going to pause. We're going to pick it up uh, next week on exactly what happens later in the story. I think it's tough, David, because like I'm reading this and as much as I want to laugh at Haman, I'm Haman. And I don't know if that's where you're going with this, but like, I think there's something in me. Maybe I don't want to like, walk around and have people parade. But I do, I think all of us want to leave a mark on this earth where people know our names and people yeah. are giving us recognition. And there's just something in us that it's like, man, why do I want to see people fail? Totally. Like, why does it, why does that bring me joy? Why, do I, why don't I naturally want to see people succeed? Totally. And like, I read this story and I want to, I want to say that I'm, I want to strive to be the Mordecai. Uh, but there's definitely places in my heart um, that are wicked and are more like Haman. I think it's in all of us. Yeah. I, I think the connections to like fairy tale faith, the parts of us like Haman uh, embrace those ideas. So when I say fairy tale faith, I think we see in Haman's life something that is, uh, can be patterns in all of our lives. And the first one of just like, hey, what is fairy tale faith? Or what, what does I mean by that? Fairy tale faith believes, um, one of the things it believes is what I would call like an if only faith. Here's what I mean by that. In chapter five, he says, I've got wealth. I got everything everybody wants. In that culture, he had 10 sons, he says. In that culture, having 10 sons was like, dude, you made it mm-hmm. um, because you got people to pass off your inheritance to. He says, I have great riches. I'm the most powerful person next to the king. I'm married. I got the house. I got money upon money. I've got all of it. But if only Mordecai. But if only I had this, mm-hmm. then I would be happy. Yep. And fairy tale faith believes that, hey, if only I had something else, Maybe it's a future season of life. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a raise and a job. Maybe it's some more stability in your current circumstances. Then I would be happy. I know for me, it's like, I think a lot of times we use time as an excuse uh, for why we don't press into our faith and go deeper in our knowledge of the word or memorize scripture. It's like, oh, well, if only I had more time, I could be deep in my faith like that guy. That guy's in ministry. So like he has more time, it's his job. And it's like now even in quarantine, we have been given that if only we've been given more time yeah. and we're still not, we're still wasting it and being negligent with our time. And so that if only cycle just. Totally. It doesn't and there's work. some of us, there's part of all of our hearts that can be like, man, if only I had this, if only I was married, then I would be satisfied. The Bible says that when you get married, first Corinthians seven, it says, when you get married, it's not going to bring satisfaction. It's going to bring trouble. Now, let me be clear. Marriage is awesome. It is a gift from God, yeah. but it doesn't satisfy that part of you. And so if you can't be satisfied right now and single, you're going to be unable to be satisfied and marry at some point. Yeah. Maybe for you, it's like, man, I just wish I had children um, or I wish I had wealth. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Basically, the Richest guy, which is who Solomon, who wrote that, says, man, if you think more money will satisfy your problems, you're a fool. I remember somebody asked me this question one time. They were like, um, we were talking about ministry and, you know, ministry can be challenging because uh, while you're, you know, we're all blessed in America, but you can buy the lie that, man, I just wish that I made more money or Mm. I wish I had more income. And I remember the guy sitting down and he said, let me ask you a question. How much would be enough money so you think about this question. Yeah. For the rest of your me. life, if I made this, I would never again be like, man, I wish that uh, I made more. I wish I could still get raised. Like if, I, if you got this tomorrow, it's your salary for the rest of your life, how much would be enough? I don't know how well you would think. I mean, you could put it down there. What would you put? Yeah, how much would be I've enough? I've always said like, <laughs> like 80K. 80K. 80 to 100K. Yeah. Be enough. I'd be settled. I, I, I love it, dude. I remember when I asked that Probably question. not going to happen, but. No, I, I asked that or I answered that question. And I, I think I said like, I mean, looking back, it was like such a, 
lofty, if I had this, I think, you know, for college and preparing for kids, I think it was like a few hundred thousand dollars or something a year. Okay. I don't feel so bad. And the guy, I know, maybe I should feel bad. (laughs) And the guy looked at me and he said, what's so true. He was like, no, it won't. Mm -hmm. No amount ever will be. People who make 300,000 or 500,000 or a million dollars, it's never enough. And the Bible says, if you live in this life, that's like, if only it will never be enough. There is a way to experience satisfaction but it doesn't come from how much you make or being married or having children or whatever that if only, if you begin to ask that and if only doesn't involve, if only I knew Jesus or I knew God more, I was deeper in my relationship with him. If that's not where you're filling in the blank, there is a part of you that has embraced a fairy tale experience of faith. I remember uh, coming across an, an illustration, or I'm sorry, a uh, conversation with Brad Pitt that modeled this so well. Thank you me. had one? No, no, no. I would, that would be kind of fun, but oh. it was with Rolling Stone, the magazine, and Brad Pitt. Gotcha. And it further illustrated, like, dude, everybody that you think would be so, if only I had that type of life, yeah. that'd be amazing. And in the conversation, he said this. Let me just read it to you. Brad, speaking of Rolling Stone, says, I know these things are all supposed to be important to us. The car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is there this general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness. If you ask me, as it relates to the car, the condo, the version of success, I say we toss all of this out. We've got to find something else because all I know is at this point in time, we're headed for a dead end and numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being. So if we're heading, Rolling Stones, towards this kind of you know, dead end society, what do you think should happen? Man, I don't have the answers, Brad says, to that yet. The emphasis right now is on success and personal gain. And I'm telling you, I'm sitting in it. And that's not it. I'm the guy who has everything. And I'm telling you, once you've got everything, you're just left with yourself. I've said it before and I will say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better at night and you don't wake up any better because of it. Brad essentially uh, reflects the fact that even the guy who has everything you would want, the looks, the car, the wife, the scenario, it doesn't satisfied. There is a way to experience satisfaction biblically, but you will never be happy if your happiness is based on what is happening around you, because that's always going to change. Yep. And Bible, the scripture says in Philippians chapter four, there is a way to experience contentment. Paul specifically says, you can go read it later, where he says, look, I've experienced and I've discovered the secret to being satisfied. No matter what is going on, what's happening around me, I can be happy because my happiness is not based on what is happening. It comes from Jesus and knowing him. So I can be starving or I can be full. He literally says that in the passage. There's an old guy who said, his name is Augustine. He was basically a a guy who worked in ministry years and years and years ago. He said, we were made for you, God. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So the first idea of fairytale faith, if part of you believes like Haman, if only, then you have embraced a fairytale version at some level of faith. The second idea, just from Haman's life, I want to talk a little bit Can I about. Just really quick, yeah. I, I, you just remind me of uh, Matthew six, where Jesus is given the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Yeah. And I think that's a a great answer to the problem of the if only life. Yeah. It's like, man, if you are looking for fulfillment in the treasures of this earth, they're going to be fleeting. But if you start to store up treasures and eternal things and heavenly things and things that are going to last forever, you're going to find that satisfaction you're talking about. So totally. And takes constant reminding of that. Like I'm going to walk out of here tonight and I'm going to be tempted to think if only. Yeah. And uh, there's just part of us that always, that needs to confess that and bring that to other believers and drag it. The second thing, just that's so clear in the story that I think is a part of what I would say, again, is fairytale faith is a belief that is really common among our generation that, hey, if I do good, I get good. Hmm. Anytime I do good, I'm going to get a reward. Yep. It's like a Christian version of karma that, hey, if I'm faithful, you know, I'm going to do what God says to do and I'm going to get the promotion. I'm going to get the raise. The relationship's going to work out. I'm going to be, I'm going to pursue purity and I'm going to end up married and everything's going to go the way that I want it to. Biblically, that's just not true. Yeah. And I wish that it was. Haman, or I'm sorry, Mordecai, the reason I say that's in the story is you look at Mordecai's life. He saves the king and nothing happens. Like he saves the king from being killed 
and nothing immediately happens. In fact, five years go by without anybody saying anything. He doesn't get any credit. He doesn't get the reward. King didn't even know about it. In fact, in the book, you know what the next verse, so in chapter two, when he saves the king, exposes the plot, the very next verse after that happens is chapter three, verse one. Sometime later, Xerxes promoted, you would think, Mordecai, mm-hmm. Haman, <laughs> over all the other nobles, wicked Haman, making him the most powerful official in the empire. Sometimes you do the right thing and you don't get an immediate reward. Sometimes you don't ever get a reward this side of heaven. But eventually and ultimately it works out and that God will eternally uh, repay with good those who do good, just like you mentioned in Matthew chapter six. But in this life, the Bible even says, sometimes you do good things and you lose your job. Sometimes you're like, I'm not going to the strip club boss and you get fired. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you talk about your faith to your students in your classroom and you lose your job. Sometimes your relationship, like you break up because you're like, I want to follow God and I feel like this is not healthy and I would get healthy and you remain single. Or like you're, I know a lot of cases where you you start, someone in the relationship starts to follow Christ and maybe they're living with their significant other and they come back home and they say, hey, either you jump on with me, we move out of each other's, out of this house and we start to follow Christ or I'm out. And some of these people have been dating for years and they say goodbye. And it's done. Yeah. And that happens. And we, the church does a disservice when they communicate things uh, in the positivity gospel or prosperity gospel. That's like, man, if you do good, um, you know, I, I even see with Corona pastors, tragically, I think putting stuff out there. that's like, Hey, and let me tell you, no weapon formed against you. This Corona will not attack you. You will not be sickened by this disease and you will rise and a shelter of protection will be placed on you. And that's not necessarily true. That God hasn't promised that. And there's example after example. In Ecclesiastes chapter eight, it really says something that I think is just such a uh, not commonly talked about verse. It says this, hey, because a crime is not punished quickly when somebody does wrong, people feel like it's okay to do wrong or it's safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, Like they do wicked, they get away with it, they live a long life. I know, Solomon says, it's better off for those who fear God. Verse 14, in this life, this is so, this is in the Bible, people. In this life, listen to this verse. Good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. Solomon addresses the Bible is so honest because it says, have you ever wondered why sometimes good, bad things happen to good people? Mm -hmm. And like really good things happen to really bad people? Like, why does that happen? And the Bible acknowledges it's a part of this broken world around us. Karma is not how God operates. And every time that you do the right thing, it is ultimately worth it and eternally worth it. But it doesn't mean that you're gonna get the promotion, you're gonna get the raise. Everything is always gonna work in your favor. Uh, Galatians chapter six says, uh, those who sow to the spirit will reap eternal life. But let us, not grow weary in doing good. So let us not grow weary. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not get up. In other words, don't stop doing good even when you don't see it being repaid immediately and rewarded. God may not come back five years later and do what the king did for Mordecai, but in eternity, he sees every act of faithfulness and obedience and he sees your actions. He sees it and he hasn't forgotten you and it will be worth it eternally the reward will be yours. But in this life, it's not promised. And I hope everything is awesome and nobody listening gets sick and all of that. But God has promised we live in a broken world and things don't always go good. And it is a, like a baby believer that thinks, man, if I, do, if I give $10, God's gonna give it all back and uh, not necessarily yeah. in this life. And I know um, one time or after my uh, dad died of cancer, there was a season where obviously I'm questioning why. I'm trying to figure out why, yeah. why. And someone told me um, either it could be one of two things, either someone had sin in their life or my dad had sin in his life. And that was why. Or two, uh, did you have enough faith? And you, y'all must not have truly believed that God could heal him or that you needed more faith, more faith. Man. And that, I mean, it, Luckily, I had the right people around me, but I, I, I feel for the people who hear that lie um, because that's just, that is a, a lie. It is totally a lie. I yeah. mean, it almost takes more faith or as much to uh, see God not take the cancer away and still say, I trust him. He's yeah. still good. 
It takes enormous faith. Yeah. Just as much faith as the person who says, wow, I saw the miracle happen. It's just as incredible when someone says, I didn't see it happen. But God is still good. His word's true, and I trust him. And, uh, and he hasn't promised it's always going to be easy. There's a chapter, and we can move on to the third example, but just quickly. Um, you know what the Hall of Faith chapter is? Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I'm not trying to flex, but yeah. Yeah, you he, do. Hebrew, Come on, Hebrews flex. 11. Oh, there we go. <laughs> he just put it out there reading his Bible. Okay, so Institute, in Hebrews man. chapter 11, it's, a, it's such a cool chapter. It I wish is. We had time. Just whole Testament. Oh, it's awesome. Okay, it's called the Hall of Faith. So it, it le- lays out like just one dude after the next, after the next, who, uh, guy and girl who walked by faith. And it, over and over it says, by faith, Abraham did X. By faith, Sarah did X. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Abel. And, um, and it goes through all these different things that, that people did. And at the end of the chapter, dude, this ministers to me so much. At the end of the chapter, the author, it's like he, he's like, whoo, I'm getting going and I wish I had more time. Because he literally says, time would fail me. What more should I say? For time would fail me if I was to talk about, and then he lists off X, y, uh, Gideon, Barak, all these different guys who by faith did these incredible things. And then here's what he says. Who by faith, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions by faith. They quenched the fury of the flames. Mm -hmm. They escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength. They became powerful in battle and they put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. All these incredible things, like by faith, they did this. And then halfway through the paragraph, kind of gives me chills. He takes a turn and it goes from all these amazing things that were done to they also did and faced incredibly horrific, Mm. painful things. It didn't always end with the lion's mouth shutting. They were tortured or there were others who were tortured by faith, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging. They were insulted for their faith, Mm. even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went around in sheepskins and in goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They were commended for their faith. Yet none of them received in their life what was promised. The the Bible says there are two ways that our faith lives itself out in our life. One is in feasting and one is in famine and both require tremendous faith. It requires faith to shut the mouths of lion and it requires faith to say, God is not shutting the mouth of the lion, but I still trust you. And both of those are involved when you walk by faith. He doesn't always take the pain away, keep your job, promise that you know everything's gonna work out all the ways that we want it to for any of us. But he promises and it involves, I'm walking by faith. And in the Bible, that's the examples of Old Testament men and women. It's not always, everything went perfect. And so this idea that, hey man, if I always do good, it, it's always gonna end up good. Not always, but it's the best way to live. And eventually and eternally, God says, you will see it was worth it to live according to what I called you to. Man, that's convicting. Dude. It's convicting because I do think that myself and a lot of people, uh, especially people my age, are looking for the first half of the chapter of faith. Yes. We want the the victory. Yes. Because that, it actually points at us. And we disguise it of like, God, God, the glory. But it's like, look at, look at how good I'm doing. Look at what I'm getting because of my faith. Look at me, look at me. Yeah. And in faith and suffering only allows you to say, look at God. Yes. I need God. Yes. I'm dependent on God. And I think a lot of people try to quicken the process of being in the valleys and, and in the low moments of life. They try to get out of those and they want to ride the highs. I know I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so natural. And man, though, but when you truly access this kind of faith in the Lord, um, in those seasons, over time, every time they kind of get sweeter. Yeah. You start to see when you approach hard seasons, when you approach pandemics across the world, yeah. it's like, man, I know this is bringing a lot of hurt and grief and chaos to a lot of people, but there's also something sweet going on with the clear, evident movement of God in the midst of this tragedy. Totally. And I feel like the church is uniting. I feel like people are looking and searching and it's a time to not try to quicken and hurry out of this, this, this season, but to go, man, how can we be great 
men and women, brothers and sisters of faith in this yeah. time that the world can look at and say, man, God is doing something in those people. By faith, even yeah. if it's not going how we want it yeah. to. Absolutely. Which leads perfectly into the third idea. I think fairy tale faith involves not just thinking that, you know, if I do good, then I'm always going to get good, that, um, that I'm going to get a reward immediately in that moment, that um, it also involves thinking life is about me. That fairy tale faith involves mm. thinking life is about you. There's this lie, and it's really common among our generation, just like Haman. I mean, Haman walked in there, and he was like, oh, the king's talking about somebody I want to honor. Of course, who else is he talking about than me? Mm-hmm. This dude was so thoughtful and so obsessed, like not just in the way that he thought that moment, but he also was bragging to all of his friends, look how great I am. It was clear, a self-focus, that his life was focused and revolved around him and a fairy tale faith commonly in our generation, there's like an epidemic where we are the selfie, self-focused generation yep. and it is really messing us up. Yeah. Um, it, here's, a, here's, here's kind of what I mean by that. Have you, uh, have you done the, the Disney, you're gonna love this. Have you done the Disney app that, uh, it's not a Disney app, it's on Instagram, there's like an effect where you can go on and, and you can decide yeah, yeah. which, we're just sticking with this whole Disney theme where I can go and I, I choose and it tells me which character I am. And I'm going through. Are you doing it? Yeah. Oh, I'm do- oh. oh, I was Moana. <laughs> and I was, oh, there I am, Moana, standing oh, wow. strong. Wait, Isn't that guy Moana? Wanna... He's the big guy in Moana. Oh, uh, is it Maui or something? Oh, yeah. We, have you seen it? Moana? No, have you seen, you've clearly you've oh, seen yeah, this Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm about to do it. One second, please. Oh, here we go. I don't even know who this is. Let me see. From Cinderella, I think it's like the evil stepsister. I think you should do it again. (laughs) If you don't know who it is, they should take that one out. All right. Cinderella? Oh, yeah, that is Cinderella. I mean, I'm not trying to be Cinderella. (laughs) Dude, you got back-to-back Cinderella stories. Okay. Anyways. So, uh, you know, it's really common. It kind of went viral, I feel like, a few months ago. You guys should uh, try that out if you haven't. Yeah, you tag, can, the, tag the porch or something. Yeah, tag us at the porch. You can show <laughs> us yours on there. We'll post ours. Um, but he, here's the same experience that everybody has on there. When I, at least I feel like I do, I'm like, oh, dude, I don't want to be the stepsister in Cinderella. I want to be Hercules. <laughs> Why is that even on there? I want to be Simba. I want to be like, uh, no one wants to be Pumbaa or... Um, I mean, come on. I mean, Pumbaa is pretty likable. <laughs> I will give you that. But especially girls are not like, oh, great. I'm, I'm the I'm warthog. Pumbaa. I'm Pumbaa. I'm Pumbaa. <laughs> I'm the warthog. And, uh, and we all want to be like the star, the hero, yeah. the princess, the yeah. pretty girl. We don't want to be the stepsister over there. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's fine with an app, but that's really how a lot of us think about our life. Mm. We're like, man, I'm the star. I want to be the star. I want to be the focus. I want to be seen as the princess. I want to be someone who they put their attention on me. And uh, our life becomes so self-focused. And this generation, truly, I think one of the reasons such depression rates or depression levels are so high amongst our generation is because we're so self-focused mm. on how what everyone thinks about me, how nobody's as nice as they should be to me, how I bet, you know, they're talking bad about me or no one, you know, they should think more importantly of me or no one's texting me on my birthday as much as they should. And we're so self-focused. And there is like a trap and a prison that comes through that because you're believing the lie that this life is about you. Yeah. And the truth from the scripture is that this life is not about you. You're not the hero. You're not the star. Neither am I. We're not the princess. There is one hero and his name is Jesus. And the more that I live life going like, look at me, look at me, look at me, the less able I'm able to go, hey, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And as Christians, truth faith should mark our lives. And as you've heard us probably say before, if you've tuned in, the posture of a Christian should not be, man, I want to be famous. I want to have a bunch of followers for me. I want to spread the gospel, live for Jesus, die and be forgotten. Yeah. And when I'm healthy, that is really the posture of my heart. And when I'm not, I'm concerned about how other people don't do enough for me and, and nobody cares enough about me and how great I am and just so, so focused on me. Um, that definition of humility, um, you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, it's, it's not thinking less of yourself. Is thinking of yourself less. Yeah, that you just spend less time yeah. thinking about yourself. That you don't like go, oh, it's you know, suck at life. It's that you just don't spend a lot of time thinking about yourself. Yeah. You think about others. I think uh, the, a character in the Bible that I look to of this example is John. In John 1, I love the description of John. It says, he was not the light, but he just came to bear witness about the light. Yeah. 
and I always say like, coincidentally, my name is John David. I'm like, I, I want to be that. Yes. I want, he is not the light. He came to bear witness. He spent his life pointing everyone to the light. Yes. That's, I mean, John chapter three, verse 30, John the Baptist speaking to your exact point says, he must become greater. Jesus put more focus on him, put less focus on me. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really challenging for a lot of us that we yeah. want to be seen. We want to be in the spotlight or we want people yeah. to know us. And, uh, and it's really unhealthy because life is not about you. Fairy tale faith believes life's about you. The truth is life is about Jesus. Colossians 1 says he's before all things. All things were made by him and for him and through him. He's the center and he holds everything together and life is about him. Yeah. And the more that I try to make it about me, I lose and it's depressing and it's lonely. And the more that I focus on him and others knowing him and not how much you know, credit that I get, the more I experience like a freedom and life in the midst yeah. of that. It's like this, and I'm about to close or shut us down here. My uh, hometown, I, I grew up in Houston and where I grew up, um, they recorded a movie. And uh, you ever see the movie Tin Cup? I haven't. I, I, I'm sorry. I feel like nobody, this is like a 90s movie with, you know who Kevin Costner is? There he is. Heard the name. Oh, Kevin Costner, like the, if you build it, he will come. He was really famous back in the day. Gotcha. Uh, anyways, that was recorded in my hometown. So people that I grew up with got to go be like extras in it. And my mom was actually in the movie. Oh. So if you go watch it, you go see my mom in the movie. But here's where she was in the movie. It's like a golf movie. So at golf courses. And there's like one quick scene in the movie. She's ever like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not even that. It's one quick scene in the movie where like the back of her head is there. Like it kind of like quickly pans. You're like, oh, I think that's, I think that's her right there. Yeah. And if I was to, or if she was to, it she wouldn't. She's like the sweetest, greatest person ever. But if she was to be like, hey guys, I just want to make sure everyone knows I'm starring in this movie, me and Kevin Costner, go see my film. And you know, I, you're really going to love it. People would go and they would be buying a false perception. Really, she would just be believing a false perception. That is not a movie starring you and Kevin Costner. Mm. You're not the star of that movie. You're a blip on the second of the yeah. screen. You can't even really tell it's you. It's clearly not about you. In the same way, that is what our life, the scriptures say is. Yep. It's like a blip on the screen. It's not about, you're not the starring role. You're not the main person in the story. Jesus is the main person. So if you uh, buy the lie, you're as delusional as my mom saying, oh, look at this movie. It's me and Kevin. It was a you know, really big deal. I'm a really big deal. You're as delusional as she is because you're, you're even a quicker blip in the scheme of eternity that it is about Jesus. And if you live your life and you focus your life and your time and your energy on you and what you need and what you, know, you want in life at the expense of knowing Jesus and helping others to know him and using this, even Corona now, to serve other people, you're wasting your life. That's good. And that blip on the screen. Um, the last thing, just as we kind of conclude that, jumped out of the text was at the very end there, or I'm sorry, at the very beginning, um, it says on the third day of the fast. And uh, I just want to recognize there's such a parallel to Jesus here. Here's what I mean by that. Um, it says on the third day, yep. she went in, she fasted three days. And on the third day, in the place of death, she put her life out there. And by doing so, she ends up saving her people. Wow. She saved the people of God. And the third day where death could have been present or death was there, she lays her life down and in its place, life rises to save the people. Biblically, the third day is over and over just such a foreshadowing of Jesus who would die. And on the third day where he would lay down his life, life would be given and it would save his people. That's us. That's anyone who's ever trusted in Jesus. And tonight there's people listening as there were last week who's never had a moment where you trusted in Christ, where you put your faith in Jesus, the God who came into this earth and he gave his life on a cross for you. Not because of anything that you did to deserve it, but because he loved you so much despite all the different ways that you didn't deserve his love. He gave his life on the cross. He died and he was buried. And then he defeated death by coming back alive as though the payment for all sin everywhere, every sin you've ever done, it cleared. It was more than enough and it broke through. And now the invitation has been given to anyone who will trust not in how good of a person you are, listen to me very closely, or how bad of a person you are. That's why you couldn't have a relationship with God. All those put you at the center. Mm -hmm. The gospel is Jesus at the center. 
And anyone who trusts in what Jesus did on the cross, despite the fact that I don't deserve to have a relationship with God, paying for my sin and rose from the dead, they will have eternal life. And God, make no mistake, has had you here listening to this message, even this moment right now, because he's extending to you that invitation. If you will just say, I believe that. I trust not in what I do, but in what Jesus did. You'll have eternal life. And that gift and that ultimate expression that foreshadowed all throughout the book of Esther of Jesus and his third day, laying down his life to give you and I in the place of death, life. Mm -hmm. You'll experience that. God doesn't say good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. It says forgiven people go to heaven. And there's only one way to get forgiveness. And that is by putting your trust in Jesus. And it is no mistake. It's not a coincidence because people are gonna think, oh, I just got shared and just popped on here. It's not a coincidence. Just like every moment in the story, there's not a coincidence. Like that night, the king reads that book and it ends up with that one story and that saves Mordecai's life. I mean, think about that. Like it was all like the point you see is like, wow, clearly, what are the odds that he wouldn't sleep that one night, the night before Mordecai was supposed to die. And then he's like, hey, read me a book. And the guy picks that one book. There's thousands of books. And then he opens to that one chapter about Mordecai saving his life. It was no coincidence. God was moving it around. And it's no coincidence you're listening right now. God who's there hasn't forgotten you. He loves you and he proved it by giving his life for you. So good. And I just want you to know that invitation has been extended. He wants you to know him and have a relationship more than you have any idea. And if you by faith tonight receive Jesus as your savior, as your Lord, the payment for your sin, you are eternally in relationship with God. So man, that's all I got. I'm gonna pray for us unless you got something else. No, I think we pray and then... I'll wrap us up. Come on. Well, Father, thank you that you are a God that doesn't have coincidences. You are a God of control and power and sovereignty. You're over all of it. And I do pray for anyone listening right now who's never received that free gift, that um, you don't want something from them. You want them to know you did something for them on the cross. That tonight would be the night they receive by faith that free gift. Or if they listen weeks later, they would receive by free that free gift by faith that you gave us in giving us your life. Thank you that you have conquered sin and death and you are uh, going to totally remove the consequences of sin and sickness and disease and all the chaos in a world, fully and finally in all of eternity. But as we wait, would you help us? And I do pray for anyone who's suffering right now through job loss, which we know there are many, through people who are experiencing sickness or illness or loved ones who are, that you, the God of comfort, would meet them right now where they are Mm -hmm. and the body of Christ would tangibly come around them and support and care. Would you help us to be strong and to be your people and not have fairy tale faith, but true faith in the midst of everything we face. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Man, thanks, David. That really encouraged me, seriously. Um, And you guys, just remember, like I said at the beginning, uh, we'll be going live on Instagram every day this week at noon with many friends. Special guests. It's be really fun. And then, like I said, if we can pray for you, we want to do that. So go to the live slash prayer and please um, invite us into that with you guys. So until next week. We'll see you next week. All right. Let's see go. you guys.